You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Uh, I want who's got my Matthew 28:18 through 20? Who's got that one? Come on there, Mr. Mr. Alva. Señor Alva. Is that on? Oh. <laughs> Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Abby. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 24, 44 through 48. Mark, is that you? Mark Underwood. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms and concerning me. Then opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. Acts 1, 4 through 8. On one occasion while they... While he was eating with them, he gave a, this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, asked, asked him, Lord, are you... You at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Amen. I'm like, I'm, little kids can go. Whoever's in charge of small children's five and under. So, so the call, and I, I, we got it in the, um, in the devotion for this morning. If you read it or not, we got some paper copies over there. And there's another great devotion. I printed it off. It was from uh, Charles Stanley there about a famine in the land. It was excellent about a famine of good teaching. But so, the, so over the last four weeks, we've been talking about this procession leading up to Passover, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And then after that, like, like I, we've talked about, is like so many Christians, that's, that's pretty much their Christian existence. And I can just live however I want. But Christ gives us a very specific order of what we're supposed to do. And what was it? You said all four of those. What was it? 
Go make disciples. You got to go make disciples. And, he, and so we put these boards up here. More than one person has asked me, you know, like, is that Jerusalem? That looks like Crossville. No, it's not Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is the local. Then Judea is the county, kind of the region. Then Samaria is the enemies, although that's Peru, not our enemies. But we just, I mean, who else are you going to put up there? So, um, but if you go there and you get the stomach bug, you will think that's your enemy. And ain't that right, TV? Ain't that right, Corey? Ain't that right, Dale? <laughs> ain't that right, Jimmy Baldwin, wherever you're at? It'll about kill you. And then the ends of the earth is everyone that wasn't covered by, you know, hometown, region, you know, enemies, and everybody else. That's what he told us to do. Go make disciples. And as the call of Christ is to be ministers of the gospel for every single person. It's not just Dale's job. It's not just Jed's job or Dave's job or some guy that you think is very spiritual. I wanted to give you a and this is another thing. Don't matter what your spiritual gift is. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelist. Yeah, well, neither do I. Neither does Jed, and neither do I. I don't know, Dave might. He's, he's super spiritual. But the rest of us, for us mortal men, you just got to do it. You use the spiritual gift that you have, whatever that is. It could be healing. It could be serving. It could be administration. It could be any number of things. Teaching. It could be prophecy. It could be speaking in tongues, maybe. It could be any number of things. But you use the spiritual gift that's given to you for the ministering of the gospel to others. That's what you do. And in that, people will find Christ. It's what we're called to do. I want to give just a, just a two-minute testimony. We already turned the microphone off, huh? I got one more little two-minute testimony from a man, Isaac, and see if, if anyone's doing this. Stand up and be proud there, Isaac. This, ha this happened this week. So he, uh, being a minister of the gospel, that's what we're talking about. Uh, um, well, uh, it was, uh, I guess, put on my heart through um, a lot of the preaching here um, about uh, sharing the gospel. And uh, we, we also have a Bible study. Uh, when we can, we, we get together with the Bisbees and the Millers and different stuff. And David Platt was going over, you know, sharing the go gospel and that um, as well. It was really put on my heart. Um, I'm, you know, part owners in a company, and we have guys work for us. And I got to thinking, I'm like, have I really clearly drawn a line and let them know what the gospel is? Have I really shared Jesus to them? Yeah, uh, through my daily life, I feel like I have. Um, I've engaged in them in little conversations, but never really just preached the gospel to them. And uh, I, I feel very blessed to have uh, families that prayed prayed for me for this. Um, but I felt like Monday morning we were having a safety meeting, and I was like, well, now's a good time to do it. Um, and I cleared it with my brother, make sure he's good with that. And I kind of wrote out an outline of, of what I was going to go over and let him review it. And he had a few little points that he wanted to bring up and put in there. And, <laughs> and, and so um, I, it, he does the safety meeting. He turns it over to me to teach the gospel. And uh, um, that stuff just isn't comfortable. It's not what I naturally want to do. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's what God's called us to do. Um, I think it's very, very clear. Uh, um, and I just let them know that if what I have to say is true, guys, then shame on me for not telling you. Um, the, the, and, and I related, um, you know, God's second coming in the flood. The flood is a picture of God's wrath to come. Um, and it is going to come. And because he's a righteous and just God, he would not be righteous and just if he did not bring um, his justice upon the earth. But because he's loving and kind and gracious, and um, he far exceeds um, 
what we deserve. He came and died, not just a good man, but God's son, God in the flesh. And he came and died and provided a way out um, not to be caught in that wrath. And, and I just explained that to them, related it to the flood, um, pleaded with them, told them that um, Jesus is that boat. He is the boat to get you um, through the storm of the wrath. Um, and you have to be in him. If you're not in that boat, if you didn't get on that boat, if you, if you decide to leave that boat, you decide to walk off that boat, you're going to get caught up in the storm. And uh, I, I, I just shared that to him, and it was, you know, could have heard a pin drop. You know, it was very awkward feeling, you know, when you, <laughs> you bring that stuff up to people. Um, and afterward, to break, to break the silence, one of the guys was like, well, he's like, I was talking to somebody uh, j just recently about, about working for you guys, and they said, man, you work for those guys, they're all the time trying to push the religion on you. And he's like, but I don't really feel that from you. He's like, I don't feel like this was you trying to hammer religion on me. And he goes, I feel like you, you have something near and dear that you believe that's on your heart and um, that you just wanted to share that to us. So I felt like, and, and everybody pretty much agreed with that, so I felt like it went very well, and I felt like that was a testament to the prayers that went in beforehand of God softening their heart because it can come across very abrasive. And, and I felt like God was just there, and I felt like it was taken well. Now, instant revival did not break out. You know, I would <laughs> like to see an instant revival. Next thing you know, everybody's going multiple different directions. We're just sharing the gospel, and there's this great revival. Uh, that didn't happen, but at the same time, a door is opened, and, and I made it very clear if they want to come talk to me or, or Caleb or, or um, any, anybody that they know is a Christian to go engage them. So um, they all overheard me talking to that with Charles this morning, so... He asked me to just put him on the spot. Put me on the spot there. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, I thank you, Isaac. I thank you for being a, a bold man of God, man. I really do. Um, it just, I just wanted you to see, and I'm going to tell you, Isaac's a humble guy. Isaac's not a public, he don't like to speak in public. That was difficult for Isaac right there. But in his humility, he's willing to do whatever it takes to proclaim the gospel until he comes. That's what we're told to do. And, uh, I mean, maybe that's not your, I'm telling you, that's not what Isaac likes to do. Give Isaac a hammer, go put him in a room by himself, he's happy as a clam. You make him start talking in front of people, he's made it, you know, he's ready to make a run for the border. So the call of Christ for every believer is to be a minister of the gospel. That's the call. It's not just to grow spiritually. I wrote that in the thing. A lot of us, well, I'm just working on my own spiritual growth. Man, if I get this together, well, then I'll get, man, God will use you. Look how I use Jonah. Jonah wanted to see him burn. And he's like, get 40 days and you're all going to be dead. And he just goes around town like, and, and the people are like, oh man, 40 days, we better get this together. We need what you got. And he's like, man, I knew you were going to do that, God. I knew you were going to, he doesn't even give him a good word. He gives him a weak word. And when people's hearts are turned to the Lord, when they're um, exposed to them, what they really are as fallen men and separated from God, if, they're, if their heart is soft and they hear the word, They'll repent. And all you're to do is be the messenger. You can be the messenger a hundred different ways. So read the devotion this week and maybe use it. So interesting that China, it's not interesting. God works how he works. But communist China, you see what they're doing. They're plowing down the churches. Their brother Yun, goodness, the poor guy, man. Uh, they tormented that guy. They broke his legs to keep him from escaping. They did all kinds of things to keep him from proclaiming the gospel in prison. He's uh, the heavenly man. Um, and, and he taught other people how to memorize gospel, how to memorize the word. He taught people how to escape 
from captors so that they could be more effective, you know, how to jump out of two and three story windows without breaking your legs so you could escape from jails and stuff. It's an amazing book. I strongly recommend Heavenly Man. Jed's like halfway through and he's like, man, I can't read anymore. The guy's just getting creamed. And, uh, but I mean, literally millions of Bibles were delivered to China because of the witness of Brother Yun and, and the work that he did. And, uh, and I mean, they just tormented that guy. But he was used completely up for the sake of the gospel. That's, I mean, I wouldn't say, or if you asked him, I wouldn't say that he would call himself an evangelist. But he did the call of the ministry, which is proclaim the gospel. And that's all you got to do. I've been reading this book called Live Not By Lies. Excellent book. Um, I'm going to get it for some of you um, some of you readers in here. I know not everybody's big readers or whatever. I understand that. But you could get it as an audio book too. Live Not By Lies. The guy's name is Rod uh, Dreher. But it's a, on the, the premise of it is how the Christian underground continued to grow in communist Russia and so on. And let me back up. Let me back up. So the last four weeks, we're working our way this way. Now the call is to be a minister of the gospel. And then, so what I want to work on for the next period of time till we get tired of it and you're sick of it, and then we'll do something else, is what do we got to do to be prepared to be ministers of the gospel? And particularly in a country that seems to be heading towards tyranny, particularly against Christians. So what do we got to do to maintain the faith? That's this Live Not By Lies book. What did they do to maintain the faith of the gospel, to maintain the growth of the body, to carry the church through severe persecution? You saw them plowing down the churches. And then those people meet in a little cold room. And you notice they all had their jackets on. It's colder than whiz in China. It's not hot there. Um, in the winters, it's, it's brutally cold there. And those people are basically meeting outdoors, just put more clothes on and meet together. And, and it's about being together and, and preaching the word to one another, encouraging one another, building one another up. And, um, but what Dreher pointed out was how quickly in those communist situations like Brother Yun, is how quickly they persecute the pastors. You know, I don't know if you're following this guy in, in um, Canada, but first they put the guy in jail because he wouldn't, quit preaching in his church. Now they've put a fence around his church. They let him out of jail. They said, we'll let you out if you quit preaching the gospel. He said, I'm not quitting. All right, well, then we'll just fence off your church. Well, we'll just meet outside the fence. So the first thing oppressive governments do, we don't think of Canada as an oppressive government. But when they tell you you can't preach the gospel, you're being oppressive. Now, if you want to get up there and talk about any kind of crazy cultural razzmatazz, they'll let you talk all day long. They'll make, let you meet in this big group. You want to burn buildings down? Pile it up. We'll get them all together. But if you want a Christian man to get somewhere and preach the gospel about people being separated from God for eternity and being cast into the fiery pit, well, we've got to put that guy in jail. I mean, it's ridiculous. So they're going to fence off the church. You know, I'll meet outside of the fence. I don't care. I'm going to meet. People are going to come. It ain't exactly hot in Canada either, dare I say. So meeting outside there, it's, it's not exactly as springy as it is here. But the point is, is that the first thing that oppressive governments do is they crush the speakers of the gospel, the pastors. And so what this, this guy, this Dreher guy did is he went around and interviewed all these people that maintained the church through this communist era. It's an easy read. It's very interesting. Um, he crushed the pastors. So he puts them in jail. They kill them or they exile them to other countries. That'll do it. We'll just shut the pastors up, and then that'll stop the movement. But what happened was, was the pastors had done a good enough job of enabling their people to present the gospel to other people that the church grew whether the pastor was there or not. Amen. And that's what you got to be. And that's what I want for you. I'm, I'm so excited that, and I know others do this in different subtle ways, you know, but the live not by lies, the premise is this. 
is that so many times we're so afraid to speak the truth for being offensive. But when the culture itself makes everything offensive, then you can no longer preserve yourself by not speaking the truth. The problem is that Christians for a long period of time have been silent when they should have been speaking. They should have been saying, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. What you're saying is wrong. What you're thinking is wrong. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Well, why is it wrong? There's no truth. We live in the post-truth era. No, we don't. One and one still equals two. There's still truth. And the truth is that if you die without Christ, you're going to burn like a forever. And it's not funny, but that's just how it is. There's truth. Neither liars nor fornicators nor adulterers shall enter the kingdom of heaven. What are you? Well, you're a lying, fornicating adulterer. You're a blasphemer of God's name if you use his name lightly, if you swear and carry his name like you'd carry the trash out to the parking lot. And it says, none of those shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet I hear you. I see you looking at women with lust in your eyes. I see you looking at other men with lust in your eyes. I see homosexual behavior, which is an abomination according to God's word. I see you doing that. And when I ask you a question, you don't tell me the truth. And I see you use God's name lightly. I'm sorry, but you'll have no part of heaven unless you repent. And then in, and in people like, well, that offends me. Well, being on fire offends me. I don't like it at all. So what are you going to do? So we got to start preparing, I, him, him, deacons, I must prepare you for these things because I'm, I'm sure that many people hear what I'm saying and are like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's bad, but it ain't that bad. You think those Chinese frostbitten people thought that 60 years ago that some guy would come in with a dozer and plow their church down? I mean, they already had the church. We can just go to the church. It'll be fine. And then one day... It happens. And I don't think people look far enough ahead or see the trends or see the, the prophet speaking, you know, and saying, these things are coming. These things are coming. Watch these things. Watch what these people are saying. They're telling you what they're going to do. They're already telling you that they, they think Christianity is oppressive. They're already telling us that. So if we know that, then we must be prepared for that. And here's what this one man said. This one uh, man that went through the, the time of testing and came out the other side. He said, pastors, prepare your people to take your role. Train them to be evangelists and ministers, teachers, and in all of the other spiritual gifts because we as kingdom people should be fully capable of proclaiming the good news until he comes. Oh, I can do that. I mean, you can, you can take what I tell you and reject it, but I'm going to tell you that this is what I see coming. And, and I'm, you know, Dave says, well, I'm a, what's your word, Dave? I'm a straight up guy. What's your thing you always call about yourself? Uh, I'm a straight shooter. Well, I'm just, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm worse than a straight shooter. I mean, I'm telling the truth even when the truth probably doesn't even need to be said. But I'm seeing these things, and I'm telling you about it, and I'm hoping that you hear, and that not just preparing you, but your children and your grandchildren. A lot of those people that replaced those pastors were their wives and their children first. But the other ones were, you know, neighbors and things like that that had seen the witness of these people because it had been consistent. So for a starting point, if I had to start with preparation, I mean, I think we've been pretty pretty consistent in this the whole time here at Plank Harvest as far as um, trying to keep you guys kind of thinking that way, you know, I got to be... I got to be a minister of the gospel. I need to be a disciple maker. I need to be consistent in reading God's word. I need to be consistent. Another thing he really pointed out was how important scripture memory was. Um, 
um, because a lot of times these guys were in cells by themselves. And uh, just, he said, this one time, he said, I felt like I was in paradise because I had these scriptures and they was coming to my mind and, and they were beating me, but I was remembering those scriptures and it helped me to, to make it through this beating or whatever. And I'm like, man, man, we don't like to suffer in any way. You know, if my feet get cold, I gotta go put my slippers on. And they were putting these guys in unheated cells in Russia in the wintertime, you know. And so this guy said he was in paradise. He felt more at, like he was in paradise in prison with this scripture flowing through his mind. How much time are we spending in, you know, uh, memorizing scripture? If you're not, start. Because you're going to need it later. So for a starting point, I can tell you all that to tell you this, for a starting point, if i got to focus on something first, being a man, I'm going to focus on men. The lady, the feminine Mind is beyond what I can compute a lot of times, and I, I know how men think. Hard to figure out those ladies, not besmirching ladies, just hard to figure out. But I know what a man needs. And I've dealt with a lot of men in the military, hundreds at times, and I've dealt with men ever since. I've always worked with men. And actually, one of the things where I think God prepared me to, to help pastor this church was being at the motel where I primarily dealt with women most of the ladies most of the employees were women there and it was an eye-opener because the things that you could tell men you couldn't tell ladies in the same way they don't receive it the same way and so if in that i want to talk to men first what i'm going to tell you i believe is a helpful thing for all people in this room but i think that women would receive uh input in a different way from other ladies Okay, so I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, and I know this could come off as opinion, but I, I just know how men think in general. So, but I also believe that even an unsaved man that could apply these principles or apply these people to his life would have a, a greater chance of success in whatever he does. The Bible says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. So we are kind of changing direction here, but the goal of the whole thing here is that you see that it's time to be preparing yourself for hard times to come. So see it as that, you know. And uh, the, the name of the, the message, if you want to put a name on it, Dave, is who is your mighty men or where are your mighty men? Uh, so it's not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. If you look at that, you see that it's about Adam. You know, God's looking at Adam. He's made Adam. In his image, he's fully complete. If you think about this, Adam is standing there completely complete as a man, but he has the feminine side, what we would consider the feminine side, in him as well as the masculine side. It's the only man that was ever that way. And God looks at him and says, it's not good for this guy to be alone. So he puts him down. He takes woman out of him. So now man is not complete anymore like he was before. He takes the woman out. He takes some aspect of his personality out, some aspect of his way of thinking and whatever, and then he brings them back together and he says, become one flesh. So now we have the, the, the way that the man thinks, any couple in here, any husband and wife, you know, the way that the man thinks, and he looks at his wife and she says stuff, and he's like, are you crazy? And then you have the way that the wife thinks, and whatever the man says, she's like, is he, what is he, crazy? But when you put them together, if you can get that mindset where you got the two halves coming together, the completing, the help meet, what you end up with is the right mind. That's the mind that God created. You have the effeminate, the emotional side. You have the masculine, the critical way of thinking. You put it together. Now you get the whatever they call it, three-third side, what do they call it with women? Second, what do they call it? <laughs> yeah, no. What do they call it with women? Uh, some kind of... Women's intuition, yeah. you got the women's intuition thing that's coming on. It's just the way that they think and process. 
and they see the bigger picture, you know, they got the spaghetti thing going on in their mind, all the stuff's intertwined and whatever going on. And then you got the man thing, one box at a time, you know, food, woman, TV, car, you know, rest, whatever, you know, one at a time. And somehow when you put it together and you're hearing one another, you end up with the mind that God designed for man to have. So in that, it's not good for man to be alone, but there's, there's another point that's kind of subtle and it's in, I'll tell you a good way to see it is in Psalm 18, sorry, Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, and it says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. I think it's one of the most key verses in the Bible for guys. Guys do not do well without input from other guys. Um, Jimmy Baldwin telling me years ago, he goes, man, these truck drivers, they're just weird. And they're all weird. And I think a large part of the weirdness comes, they're in the truck all day long, all by themselves. They hear what they listen to on the radio. They listen to the same thing over and over and over. They process it in their own minds. Process, process, process. Turn, turn, turn. But it's, they're never hearing insight from another person that's saying, man, that's some crazy thinking right there. You may be off track right there. You know, did you ever think about it this way? And so God made a certain number, types of personalities for men to be around. Remember the iron as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know, God made these different personalities to kind of sandpaper us down, to help us develop in our thinking and our mindsets. So not only not good for men to be alone, as in womanless, and you think about this, you probably know a number of successful widows, like they became widows and then they went on and did okay, never to remarry. But very few widowers do you meet that don't quickly remarry. It's no slight on men that they don't good, do good alone. God made us that way. So a lot of people look now like, guys, oh man, they need somebody. They can't do anything for them. They can't care for them. It's, it's how God designed us. He designed us in a way that we're going to operate best in herds. How, that was his call. It wasn't my call. It doesn't make the man weak. It doesn't make him stupid. It just makes him different. So it's part of God's design to be that way. So I, I do know that some of this could be opinion, but uh, you know, I want to be careful on that. But I can see in God's Word a very definite type of friend and mentor that men need in their life. I actually found three, and if you've been here Wednesday night, you might have heard some of this. But uh, And if a man could have these three in his life, he'd be a truly blessed man. And the three that I can mention is a man named Zadok, a man named Nathan, and a man named Benaiah. If you just had one of them, it would help you greatly. So with Zadok, as men, as Christian men, we're all called to ministry or, or leadership in some role or another, at least in our homes, if not beyond that. I know many of you guys are you know, self-employed or whatever, but a good Zadok, he shepherds and he trains us to replace himself. He's the pastor, he's the shepherd, but he's also training you. So if he's, if he's not accomplishing those, all those things, not just shepherding you, caring for you and whatever, but also training you, I mean, he needs to be training you and shepherding you. Um, and he's doing that in a, in a role to replace himself so that you can be this man to someone else. And the next one is we should all be striving to be godly men. So a good Nathan rebukes us and encourages us towards that. He's kind of helping you keep an eye on stuff and what's, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And the last guy, if you're a true man of God, you're going to face trials, you're going to face mockings, you're going to face persecutions. Uh, you, you can see there in John uh, 15 and 16, the book of John, where Jesus says, if you love me, the world's going to hate you. 
And like they persecuted me, the world's going to persecute you. So this guy, Benny Aya, we're going to look at him. You need a guy like that who's got your back. He's the guy that's going to guard your back. He's going to serve you with loyalty. So if you, like I said, you got any of these three, you're a pretty blessed man. If you have all three, you're super blessed. And it should empower you to be a stronger man of God. If you have none of these, and this is, this is serious right here, because I know that many Christian guys and, and unchristian guys as well don't have any of these. And if you don't have any of these, you're like, well, I get my preaching from the radio. You have no contact with the Zadok guy. You're putting yourself in an extremely dangerous situation because you have no one sanding on you. Um, and other, I, I would say that even that you should be making your calling in election sure because this should be a desire of yours to have other godly guys of these varieties kind of roughing you up. A very, it takes a very arrogant man to look at others and whatever they say, you're like, ah, I knew that already. I don't need that. Yeah, whatever. Get out of my face. I got this. That guy is doomed to failure. A Jezebel's going to trip him up. A bad business decision is going to trip him up. A personal sin is going to trip him up. His arrogance is going to, something's going to take the guy down. He could be a man of God at one point, but those guys that complete, are, Ravi Zacharias is a great example. You separate yourself, you put yourself above people, and things like that, you're going to get took down. So let's look at the first guy, Zadok the priest. Go to 2 Samuel. We're going to be pretty much in 2 Samuel with all these guys. Zadok the priest. 2 Samuel 15, 13, and 14. So Absalom, David's paying the price for his affair with Bathsheba for the murder of Uriah. In 2 Samuel 15, 13, and 14, we see the beginning of that. And David's on the run. In 13 and 14, it says, um, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who are with him in Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Zadok's the main priest in Jerusalem. He's a very powerful, very godly man in Jerusalem. But I want to show you what he does. Verse 24. So, so David's on the run, got all his posse, got all the people from the house, got whatever mighty men he could muster, and he's on the run. And there was Zadok also. Zadok's like, I'm going with you guys. I'm with you guys. I'm with you fellers. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God, and they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over the city. Then the king said to Zadok, this is very admirable of David, but this puts a lot of heat on Zadok too because Zadok leaves with David, so he proves his alliance is with David. David says to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling. I'll get to see the ark again. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as he sees good to you. The king said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Are you not a, 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 the guy with the ephod? Um, with a breastplate, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace. You're the, you're the guy. You care for Jerusalem. That's your goal. You're the shepherd. Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. Zadok is 
to David, the loyal high priest. He's willing to put his life at risk for the man that God has for that place. He is a sound priest. He's a righteous priest. He's a just priest. He's a good priest. He's reading the word. He knows God. He's hearing from God. In fact, it says that he gathers up other Levites. So he has these other men of God that he surrounds himself so that he's making sure that he's hearing from God what he's supposed to be hearing. Not only is he listening to God, not only is he doing the work inside the temple and all that jazz, but he, or in the tabernacle in that age, he's, he's listening to God, but he's also surrounding himself with other godly men, and, and he's listening to them. Hey, man, what do you hear about this? I mean, they're, they're getting the news directly from the source. They're using the urim and the thummim, whatever that was. They're using the breastplate. They're using the, the inner part of the tabernacle in there. They're doing the things to access God and to hear from him. Zadok is a righteous man, but he knows that the throne belongs to David, and when David leaves, he goes with him. And David reminds him, man, your, your job is in Jerusalem. That's where the tabernacle is, and he sends him back, which is very righteous of David. But in that, Zadok is like, I'm going to get some backup. You know, he gets a little priest to go with David, though. But even in that, Zadok knows David. He's the high priest. He's seen David fail. He's seen the Uriah and the Bathsheba. He's seen him. But he's not David's judge. He's his priest. He's his shepherd. And so in that, he knows David, he knows his sins, but he's completely sold out to the care and shepherding of David and his people. His message from God, his listening to God does not waver in tough times. He's been in the White House, and now, like they say, he's in the outhouse, he's in the desert. And he's, he's going to do God's work either way. He's, this is what I do. I'm the high priest, I'm the prophet, I mean, I'm the shepherd, I'm the bishop, and I'm going to do what I do no matter the place that I'm in, every man needs a Zadok. You may not be a Zadok. You may be a weak-minded man. You may be a weak-willed man. You may be a man covered with sin. You may be a man that struggles with pornography. You may be a lion dog. You may be a greedy pig. You may have whatever flaw you got on you, but you need a Zadok that may know those things about you, but he's going to you to, minister to you anyway. He's going to care for you anyway. Knowing that you've got weaknesses, because he's got weaknesses, because he's a man. He knows that about you. He's going to care for you anyway. Every man needs a minister of the gospel that's ahead of them in the word of God. If I just get people, not besmirching Jed or Dave, but if I get guys that are on the same level with me in ministry, it's not helping me. I need a Tony. I need a Renee. I need a, a, a Elias. These guys that have been doing it for 20 and 30 and 40 years. And then I go to those guys and they're like, yeah, that happened to me before. Here's what you do. I need those guys. And they tell me what the deal is. And they tell me how to handle those situations. And they're praying. I was going to give you a story about Elias. I go to visit him one time. And, and for those of you, we'll get to see him again soon. I think he's going to come visit us here shortly. Maybe we can help him with some plane tickets or something and him, him come and stay with us for some time. But he only speaks Spanish, but we got interpreters. But with Elias, I go to visit him in Peru one time. He's just crying. I mean, he's just broken. God hasn't spoken to me, Dale. It's been, it's been three months. I haven't had a dream, a vision. He's not answering my prayers. He's just, he's forgotten me. I'm like, yeah, come on, man. You know, we all get in those spots, you know. And I tell him, he's not forgotten you, you know, whatever. And a couple days later, he gets up in the morning crying like a girl. And he's like, no slight to girls. 
And uh, <laughs> he's just crying like a baby. And he's like, man, God spoke to me last night. He was crying more after God spoke to him than before when he hadn't. He was so happy that God had spoken to him again. But here's the deal. In the dry three months of no word, he never quit ministering. He never quit fasting. He never quit praying. He never quit preaching. He never quit marrying people. He never quit discipling people. He never quit writing sermons. He never quit being a priest. That's the guy you want. You want a guy that is absolutely sold out to the ministry of the gospel. So he's always at work. Zadok is always at work. Whether he's on the run in the desert or in the castle of the king, number one is Zadok. You need one of those guys. I will say this about all these personalities. They're not necessarily going to be your friends. The, the priest can't be, I mean, you think about the priest of Jerusalem. He wasn't everybody's friend. He probably had five Le Leviticites that he was running with, and the rest of them are kind of, you know, maybe the king. You know, I mean, think about the chaplain at the White House, you know. He's got access to um, Bi President Biden, but you're not walking up there and talking to the chaplain of the White House, of the Congress or whatever. I mean, he's got a, it's, there's a lot of people there. He's caring for all those people. You just need access to him. I think it's better to have a Zadok, though, that you can talk to, physically go to, even though you're not bestest buddies, you can go to him, have contact with him, that, rather than saying, you know, John MacArthur's a great preacher. I, there's, I got no slight on the guy. But I can't access John MacArthur. You know what I'm saying? I can call Renee. You know, I can talk to Jed. I can talk to Dave. I can't, I mean, John MacArthur, he ain't taking my call. So you need to, he's not necessarily going to be your friend, but he's your pastor. That's the difference. So look for a Zadok man first. Ne next one is Nathan the prophet. Time it is. So we take, the first time we see Nathan, most people don't realize that he actually is mentioned before this when David has that desire to build the temple, uh, 2 Samuel 7. But in 2 Samuel 12 is when Nathan comes to David. I don't believe they're friends. I believe that the prophet Nathan has access to the throne because he's the prophet of the nation, and David recognizes him for who he is. So he's like, God speaks to Nathan, ding, the, pre, the, you know, the king has done this terrible thing. Go and confront him. It's terrifying what he has to do. And he has to go in there and tell the king that you're a, a murderer and a fornicator and an adulterer, and God's going to discipline you severely. And the kind of discipline that you receive will be directly related to how, what kind of repentance you produce. And so Nathan goes and does the dirty deed. And so with, with that, uh, 2 Samuel 12, 7, if you want to look at it real quick, is just the way he speaks to David, it's, you know, he's already pointed out to David, and in, in that 12, 7, it's like, uh, he says, you are that man. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I did all this, and I'm fixing to hammer you. And David, in response, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He doesn't say you shall not wish you were dead. He says you shall not die. Nathan is a man's man. This prophetic man of God who goes, and then in that other, I noticed in 2 Samuel, go there to 2 Samuel 7 just for a second. Look at verse 2. So David has this dream, I'm going to build a, I'm gonna build a temple. Uh, and Nathan at first, the king said to Nathan, verse 2, 
Nathan the prophet. And now, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and he tells Nathan, I don't want David building this thing. He's a man with blood on his hands. He's a great warrior, but in that, he has a low regard for human life. And so Nathan has to come back, which is a great humility, in verse 16 and 17, you see there, Nathan has to come back and say, David, don't build the temple. Save the stuff, get the men, get the materials. Don't build the temple. According to all these, verse 17, all these words, and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. He spoke to him, not as a friend, exactly, but as a prophet. Um, the prophets had relevance in their culture they had a very spare life. They didn't live big. They were the, they were the guys kind of outside the wealth, and they're observing it all. I, 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 some people don't like uh, Rush Limbaugh. That's fine. But in a sense, he was a prophet, if you want to think about. He looked at the culture as a whole, and he said, these are the things that I say, see coming. If we don't make this change, if this doesn't happen, th that's a prophet in a sense. I mean, he was a wealthy man and whatever. But but that's what the kind of personality we're talking about. They're seeing the big picture, and they're like, this is where you fit into this big picture. This is what God's doing in this big picture. And so as every man needs a Zadok, every man needs a Nathan. It's a man, I'm going to tell you this, last point, is First uh, Chronicles 3.5 says, Nathan was so important to David that he names one of his sons after him. He names his third son Nathan. Interesting. So every man needs a Nathan. A man that is going to tell him when he's off track or even as a sounding board. Not necessarily waiting till he's already in deep sin. Look what he did with the temple there. You know, I was thinking about building this thing and doing this thing. And, and then your, this guy comes to him and he goes, you know, I mean, it may not be the very best time to do that. You know, maybe you could use your money better elsewhere. Maybe you could look at this thing in a different way. Um, um, so maybe not after the guy. I mean, we need the Nathan that comes to us and he catches us in sin and it allows us a chance to repent, but hopefully he catches it before. Um, a, it's not a fear that I have, but it is an awareness that I have. That the, the rely, I mean, how many churches have you known of where the pastor gets caught in deep sin? You know, he has an affair with the secretary. Good thing we don't have a secretary. You know, he gets in trouble with the whatever, does whatever terrible thing, you know, gets greedy or whatever. You know, by the time it happens and it makes the news, it's too late. Much better to have the Nathan come beforehand and say, hey, man, what are you doing with the secretary all the time? What are you doing with the music lady? What are you doing with the whatever? What do you got going on there that's going to get you off? It's much better for him to come before the sin is too late to be restored from. I mean, churches, look at poor Fredonia Church out there by me. They used to have two, 300 people showing up there on Sunday, 200 anyway. And now they got like 15. Just because of, of time and different things that happen with a pastor, nice churches can be absolutely killed by uh, a lack of a Nathan. And so, um, so this Nathan personality, he may not even be a close friend, but he's a realist. He's a truth teller. And I was thinking about if he's not a close friend, he's at least a wise friend. And I, I kind of had to change my view of what a friend is um, years ago. And uh, this guy from the military one time, he called me just out of the blue. I think I told you this recently, but he calls me out of the blue and he goes, you know what, man, you've always been a good friend. I mean, you're the kind of guy that will help you hide the body. 
I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Did you kill somebody? You know, I mean, you know, do I need to go rent a backhoe or something, you know? I mean, that's not a true friend, technically, uh, but it is. The guy that you're going to call, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and it's pouring down the rain, and it's 35 degrees, and you've got a flat tire, and he's going to bring you a tire. You may not eat dinner with him. You may not be best buds, but he's going to come through when you need him the most. That's a friend. A lot of people, they say, well, he's my good friend, but when I call him, he don't come. When I'm hurting, he doesn't show up. When I need something, he puts me off. That's not a friend. That might be an acquaintance. It might be somebody you know. But a friend comes through for you when the chips are down. You know, we've been talking about Job on Sunday nights. You know, his friends weren't that friendly. They're all telling him what a loser he is. I mean, when you're down on your luck, you don't want the guy to tell you you're a loser. You know, you know give me something positive, man. You're going to make it through. You might live. You know, give me something. You know, bring me a cake from Baskin Robbins. Do, bring me something. Do something. Amen. But, the, but, the, but just try to change. Our culture says that we can have BFFs, that we can have all these BFFs. It's just not true. You're lucky in life. You are truly blessed in life. You have one true friend that's going to be there when the chips are down, no matter what. And you're looking, I think we're looking for the wrong guy sometimes for this Nathan guy. He may be an abrasive guy. He may be a personality you're not real thrilled with. And I was thinking about this, really, men, like for you, Zach. I, I don't think you need a Nathan that's also in construction. It would help us to get, you know, I don't need Dave. You don't need a Nathan that's also a coach. You need somebody that's kind of outside of that realm so he's looking at things, you know. You know, Pete, you don't need a Nathan that's an investor. You need a, you need a Nathan that's a coach. You need a, a Nathan that's a construction guy, you know? So you can kind of get two different angles on the, on the thing, whatever the thing is. It helps sometimes. Because if you get too close to people, we're bad not to tell them the truth. Because we're afraid of breaking the closeness. And Nathan, he don't care. He's worried about you losing a relationship with the father. And that's the guy you want. You want a straight shooter. Nathan, poor Dave, you're going to be the Nathan everybody in the church. Dave's going to slap you around. You're going to be like, thanks, Dave, I think. Yeah. So I think with Zadok, he would tend to be like an older mentor kind of guy, pastor, likely older than you. But Nathan could more likely be the similar age. He's the sandpaper. He's going to talk straight to you. He's going to tell you what you got going on. He's going to be as humble as he can with you. But if you're wrong, he's going to tell you wrong. And if you're wise, you're going to hear him and you're going to apply it. He's going to tell you the truth, even if it's painful. And then the last guy, I called him Ben and I of the bad mamma jamma. I gave you, I give Jimmy all the credit for the bad mamma jamma. Ben and I is a bad man. Second Samuel 23. I mean, I just want you to look at this guy. I'll give you the quick and dirty on this guy. But this guy is the guy that every guy needs in his life. Look at verse 20. We'll start right there. Second Samuel 23, verse 20. Ben and I, you know what his name means? Anyone? Son of God. He's a bad man. Son of God. He was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Cabeziel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. I love that man. Zach Miller versus whatever, Brody over here. Zach Miller, the Egyptian, I mean, this big guy. Listen to the story. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, 
So he went down to him with a staff, with a stick, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. That's a man of God right there. I mean, that's exciting stuff. These things Ben and I, the son of Jehoiah, did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. Why is Benaniah important? His loyalty today, it's not the daring do. It's not the fantastic things he can do. The fact that he wrestles. I mean, I just, in my mind, I, I, I can just see this happening. A much smaller man going up to a spectacular man. Give me that. I mean, it's amazing what he does. And, but what he does, if you think about these events, you got to look at this, how this worked back then. It's a different kind of warfare. They would be like, hey, uh, who's your best warriors? Man, we got these two guys from Moab. Ben and I, you're up. And he goes and does the deed. They're watching him do these things. Uh, there's a line of pit over here. You might want to take it on. Hey, ben and I will, man. That guy's he's deranged. Get in there, Ben and I. Take out the line. We got this, look at this guy, man, what a set of clothes. That is a handsome man, that spear. Go take a spear from him. Okay. And he goes. He's loyal to the throne. He's loyal to David. He's willing to give his life, if necessary, to be a hero. Um, there was a boy recently. Uh, a little girl was drowning. It wasn't his sister or anything, and fell into the ice or something in uh, Wisconsin or somewhere up there where it freezes the lakes. And the kid, this little boy, he was like 8 or 10 years old, jumps in there and grabs the girl and drags her. That's a Ben and I. That's the guy you want. His life means nothing to him for the sake of someone else. But in this Ben and I guy, uh, Solomon, proving his wisdom, takes on Zadok, Nathan, and Ben and I. He takes them as his three top guys when he takes the throne. Now, Ben and I would have been an older man by then because he's been running with David for years. And David's an old man approaching death. But Ben and I is so trustworthy that he's the only guy that Solomon can trust. He was David's chief of, what did it say, over, him, over his guard, chief of the guard. And in Samuel, uh, Solomon, Solomon does the same thing. When Solomon becomes king, he can't trust David's old warrior guy, Joab. That guy's proven to be a weasel. He's killed some people that were not worth, uh, that shouldn't have been killed. They were honest men that were just doing their job, trying to maintain his position. And so Ben and I has to go after Joab. Joab is a highly trained Navy SEAL warrior. And Ben and I has to go after him and take him out. And uh, Solomon sends him. And in 1 Kings, you can read that story if you want to, 2, 28 through 34. It says that Joab runs and he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. And it was not, I mean, it'd be like somebody coming to this church and holding on to this and saying, you know, you can't kill me. Even though I did these terrible things and I murdered these people and I raped these women and I pillaged these villages, you can't kill me in the church. And he comes back to Solomon and Solomon says, what did he say? He said, you can't kill me in the church. He's like, go back and kill him. Okay. That's what the kings, that's what the throne said. That's what God's man said to do. And that's what he does. Ben and I is loyal, but he's honorable. He's not a wild animal, but he's just a barely tamed one. But his loyalty is to the king. And he's willing to put his own life at risk to protect the name of an honorable man. And like I said, Joab was no sissy. But when it came down to a righteous man confronting him, he didn't have, he didn't have what it took. So it gives anyone, so for us, the Ben and I in your life, what does he look like? So it gives anyone a great relief when somebody stands up for their name. If you, are, if you have been 
declared unrighteous by someone. I had this happen to me one time, a guy that we had tried to help a number of times, and, uh, and we had worked him in different things, and he went to another guy in town and told him that, um, that I had kept some money from him from a job, and, um, and that guy goes, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He, that's the kind of stuff he would do. And then he passed it on, passed it on. Well, it wasn't true. It didn't matter if it was true or not. The one guy said it, the other guy passes it on, and so on, and it goes on. And uh, so I, I got a hold of the guy that had said that initially, and I, I, I took him in. I said, man, how much are you saying that I owe you? I was like $300 or something. So I paid him $600, and I said, you make sure you go back and tell that other guy that I paid double what you said. And he goes, oh, no, man, I wasn't trying to, but my name had already been drugged through the mud, and I can't restore that. I can go to the other guy and the guy that passed it on and whoever he passed it on to, and I'd tell you names except you know these people. And it's how much better if when the first guy went to the second guy, the second guy goes, well, I know him, and he wouldn't do that. He pays the people what he owes them. I've had that happen to me recently too. Some guys, um, some things were said that weren't true. They just weren't true. They weren't necessarily terrible, but they weren't true. And one of the men of our church stood up and said, man, that's, not, that's not what he does. It's, he didn't do that. And then the other man ended up apologizing to me. So it's interesting how encouraged you are when somebody stands up for your name. You need a guy that knows you, sees you as honorable, and will stand up for your name. Again, he doesn't have to be your best friend. He's got to know you. But this is why it works. We all need that guy because it gives us endurance to stay on the right path. Having the guy that honors your character keeps you from doing bad stuff because you don't want to shame him. You know, you don't want to shame your own name, but you know that that guy is watching you and he's going to stand up for your name. And so you be careful so that you don't let that guy down who holds you in such high esteem. So let me show you these three guys one more time. So Ben and I defends you and empowers you to maintain your character. It's easy to have the back of someone re that you respect, so never give him a reason not to. So here's the picture on the, big, on the three there. So Zadok. Zadok was the high priest, but you know what? He wasn't the best high priest there ever was. He was, I mean, Melchizedek was better. Um, Abraham was considered a high priest. Um, Job, he was better. Moses was better. Jesus is better, but Zadok was serviceable. He was the guy that David needed, and he proved himself loyal. There was better high priest. Zadok was serviceable. Nathan wasn't the greatest prophet ever. There was Elijah. There was Elisha. They're making stuff happen. They're calling down fire from heaven and burning up altars and all this jazz. You know, it was John the Baptist going before Christ. But Nathan was serviceable. He was the man for David for that day. And then Ben and I wasn't the greatest warrior ever. If there was ever a shot to the poor guy, here he has killed all these people, and they end the sentence with, but he did not attain to the first three. Yeah, he was good. He wasn't as good as the other guy. I mean, he wasn't no Larry Bird, you know. He played in the pros, but he wasn't Larry Bird, you know. I mean, but he was serviceable. He's the guy that you need in that role. You know, David surrounded himself with over 300 mighty men. The reason, one of the reasons David was so successful was he surrounded himself with men that considered him honorable and with enough character to, to serve, but they also, this is, this is important, 
They saw God's anointing on David, and their goal was to care for the throne more than to care for the man. Because when Solomon becomes king, they rotate their, uh, what should I say, loyalty to Solomon. So their goal was serving the Lord. But they saw this man of God, and they're like, we can do that through this man of God. So there's a lot more to be said on this, I'm sure. Uh, but for you, for each guy in here, each one of us should be searching out these three kind of guys. And I can put my finger on these three guys. I don't want to mention names in here because some guys would be like, well, I thought I was his Ben and I. Well, maybe you were. Maybe you weren't. You just have to wonder about that. But, or I was his Nathan or whatever. But, I mean, I have a number of these guys. I could point you to these guys that I see as my Zadok and things like that. But, I, I mean, these other roles, the more of these you have in your life, the better. But if you had just three Begin to search these guys out. And here's the second thing. Begin to be one of these. You don't have to be, uh, like I said, Jonah went in there with a very simple word to Nineveh. You don't have to know the Bible cover to cover before you can be a Benaniah to another man. You know what sin looks like on people. A man professes himself to be a Christ follower, and then his, his, you know, the things that comes out of his mouth are just wickedness all the time. You don't have to be a, a deeply knowledgeable man of God's word to be a Nathan to that man. Say, look, man, you're dragging Christ's name through the mud. And to be a Zadok, you can work your way up to that. If nothing else, as your family's leader, as the uh, father of your home, you can be the Zadok in your family. Uh, the guy who has these men in his life is not alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. The guy who does not have this guys in his life and could point to these guys and has those guys that he can reference when he's in a bad spot when things aren't going his way that guy's that guy's in a dangerous spot um the guy with these people in his life he's going to look he's going to have to try hard to fail the guy that does not have these people in his life he won't have to do anything and he's going to crash and burn it's just how it is i'm telling you the jezebels are out there looking for every one of those i just got reading you know proverbs you know, six through eight right there, where it talks about this woman and she waits. You know, she's got blood on her mouth. And she calls out to those foolish boys as they walk by, you know, come in here. And it says the guy walks in there like an ox led to slaughter. We never think, we never think as men that we're going to be took down by some women, some, some woman, whatever. But it just, the right thing at the right time, the right temptation doesn't have to be a woman. It could be any other thing that Satan knows what your weakness is. And they'll be tested in that. And in that moment, if you don't have a guy that's going to be like, man, what the heck are you doing? You know? If you don't have that guy, you're going to be like the ox led to slaughter. And you're going to lose everything that you consider valuable. But if you do have that guy, he's going to call you. You're looking for that wise voice. You're not looking for a best friend. You're looking for the wise voices in your life that are going to call out to you. Hey, you, with understanding, don't go down that road. Wisdom cries out. So step one in preparing to live not by lies is to have men like these as your counselors. David had 300. How many you got? Can you put your finger on them? Start trying to discover some. Ladies too, I know there's, I have, a, I, I have an idea with ladies and I know that they, they do view things in a different way and the things that trip up men don't necessarily trip them up. But the ladies could use similar people Older ladies in their lives that have already been down that road and been those experiences and things like that. We need, you need them too. So, like I said, I think we're all looking for bestie best friends to satisfy these roles. And I think we need to find serviceable, true friends to change the tire in the dark.
We need those friends, okay? I want to pray with us. Um, and then I want us to watch this little video. It's kind of long. Joel made it, and his English is, uh, you have to listen carefully. He has very good English compared to other Peruvians, but compared to gringos, his English is muy mal, very bad. So um, uh, we'll, uh, we'll watch this video here in a second. And uh, just know that this is one of the guys that we support. I've asked all the pastors and missionaries to send us little short videos. We're going to watch Joel's first. And uh, just, just uh, be in prayer for Joel. And then I, I want to I give you the opportunity. I'm going to give a, just a moment here. If you want to come up here and pray, if you want to, uh, you know, maybe pray about uh, the Lord introducing some of these people into your life or better identifying who these people are and taking better advantage of them. People, read your Bibles, memorize his word, find you some of these men. We're going to pray together. Just, I'll give you a moment there. If you want to come up here and pray, there's time. And if not, uh, I'll close this in prayer and then we'll watch this video. Pray that it was the word that you have for us today, Lord. Um, I'm grateful for you and the work that you've done with the men in the past that put your word together as you rightly breathed it out, the only book that's ever been breathed out by God. Each word with great importance for our spiritual growth. Father, I pray for these people that are here today, Lord, this whole body, myself included, Lord, that you would produce these people in our midst that we would, renect, we would recognize that there's godly men, godly women out there that are further ahead in the faith than we are, that have experienced things more terrible than we have, that have experienced trials and testings that we've yet to you know, experience, that they know the word better. Lord, I pray that you would identify those in our lives and, and point us to them and let us cling to them and, and hear what they have to say, Lord, and to follow them and, to, and allow them to teach us your word. Father, I pray for those that are out there that are needing a prophet right now to tell them the truth. We live in a hard world that's seeking to separate us from you. And you, we, we don't even know what the truth is anymore. The news is ridiculous. The things that they say is absolutely just filled with lies. And it leaves us conflicted, Lord, and, and it leaves us worried and afraid of what will happen next. Lord, I pray for prophets to rise up in this fellowship. Lord, I pray for the men and women of this place to be truth speakers to one another, I can only imagine what this body would be like if we all cared for one another like these men cared for David. Father, and I pray again for this, for the Benaniahs, Lord. They might be a little wilder. They may not think exactly like we think, but they have our best interest at heart, Lord. I pray for them this morning. I pray that you would reveal them to us, the ones that they are in our lives, and that we would tell them how much we appreciate their loyalty and their care for us. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us in this place, a good place. Lord, I thank you for your lampstand that is here. Lord, I pray that your, your holy anointing oil would never be cut off from this place. I pray that the people here would desire to serve you no matter what happens in their lives, no matter what happens at the different levels of government or any kind of persecution that would come, but they would come to this place knowing it's a good place and that they can meet with you here. 
I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your care for us in this time we had together. Lord, I pray that the word that was given will not return void. And I thank you for these that have come. I pray that the word will go on from them as they, as they apply these words this week, that they'll be bold representatives of the gospel this week. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your care. Thank you for those that prepared the meal today, the hands that prepared it, and the, the time and effort they took, Lord. Um, God bless their hands. God bless these people today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I was in a mission trip in the jungle with a dear friend of mine. That is when I received the confirmation to come here. Some months later, me and my family moved to Cerro Sur. We have learned a lot since we came here. But most importantly, we have learned to trust in Him, to fully trust in Him. We have received so much joy seeing families come to Christ families being restored, individuals come to Christ. We have learned to show them, modeling them, how to be a disciple of Christ, how to make disciple makers, how to be disciple makers. Now with COVID, we also have found many opportunities to, to help or to meet the needs of so many people's family. We have given them food bags that help them to hold up until things get better. We also have shown them that Jesus is the only hope they need. We also have learned to use technology because this pandemic, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot get together. So we have been having meetings where we have been teaching the scriptures, discipleship. We also have uh, to share the gospel or the scriptures with them through this technology, through these apps. So this is a Rasul behind me. And there, is, there are another uh, small towns that we have the opportunity to, to, to reach. And there, there are people that are hungry to know about Jesus. There are people that, that, that want to learn more about how to make disciples, how to be a real disciple of Christ. So I would like for you brothers and friends to keep praying for the family for the Hurtado family. We are, we are so uh, eager to continue with this job, with this work, and expand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God here. So, thank you very much. Feel the loss of Christ the King.
He hung his head and prepared to die Then lifted his face up to the sky Said, I am coming home now, Father, to you A reed which held his final slip Was gently lifted to his lips He drank his last and gave his soul to glory The soldier who had used his sword to pierce the body of our Lord said truly this was Jesus Christ our Savior. He looked with fear upon his sword then turned to face his Christ and Took from his head the thorny crown And wrapped him in a linen gown Then laid him down to rest inside the tomb The holes in his hands, his feet inside Three days went by 